Lord, we're reminded this morning of in that song of the passage, whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me, Lord. We pray that we would be a place that looks out for the poor. And remember those who are less fortunate than us, Lord. Pray that you'd speak to us this morning through your word. And that we would rise up. And let me pray. Amen. You may be seated. Scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70, 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went out, or he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's me again. Yeah, I like it. I like it when I get a chance to come up and speak to you guys. So I appreciate it. So there's nothing uh, I like better than going to the movies. I love, I love going to the movies and getting the popcorn and you know just really going after it. And uh, there have been days that that my wife and I, when the kids are off with their grandparents in the summer, we're like, let's just go spend the Saturday at the movies and we'll see like two movies and. Uh, and I don't fall asleep either. I always think I would. But uh, I just love going to see the movies. And so much that you see in the movies is revenge stories, right? So many revenge stories. And, and they're fantastic because, you know, the bad guy, he comes and he does something to the, to the main character. And you're like, man, I can't wait to see him get it. He's going to get his comeuppance. And that's what the whole movie is about. And uh, I think of right now, that, you know, some of the popular movies that are all revenge, like John Wick, which is a story where these people kill this guy's dog, and he goes on a, on a two-hour-long vendetta. And, uh, and one of my favorite movies, a favorite in our house, is uh, The Princess Bride. You've seen The Princess Bride, and there's that one character, and you, you're all hearing it right now. He goes, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die, 
right? And this guy, his whole existence in this, in this movie is about finding the six-fingered man who killed his father and bringing vengeance. And uh, there is so much revenge in our culture. I, I like kung fu movies too. And there's no such thing as a kung fu movie without revenge in it. That's, the, that's all they are. And it's just, you know, something bad happens and gotta, gotta, gotta get the bad guy. I think one of the reasons it's so prevalent in, in entertainment is because revenge is the natural response to un- injustice. When somebody does something bad to me, I'm gonna do something bad back. I'm gonna get them. Okay, that's what we do. You know, I have four kids, and that's what they do. Everything's got to be fair. It's, everything has got to be fair. So if he took my pop, then I'm taking his pop. If he punched me in the face, I'm punching him in the face too. I mean, everything has got to be fair. It's just revenge, though. That's all it is. It's just them fighting all the time. They're not in here, so I'm not embarrassing them. Oh, there's one of them. Not you, Lid. Yeah, I know, right? But that is what we want. When there's a, you know, they catch a a, a drug lord or they catch a, a murderer, what do we want? We want retribution. That's what we want. We crave it. You know, for for centuries, people would go and see hangings and, and uh, you know, the... The killings when they, when they would catch them, and, and it was a spectator sport, and because people wanted to see it, they wanted to see it. It was satisfying to get revenge. But Jesus comes along, and he's got a whole different way of approaching things. Now, at the beginning of this passage, uh, in that that Owen read, Matthew eighteen is is a famous passage because in that, that's where Jesus is teaching about how we need to reconcile with each other. And if somebody wrongs you, you go to them. And if they don't listen, you bring somebody with you. And, you know, at the end, if, if they still don't listen, you get out the pitchforks and go No, that's not what it says. <laughs> so Jesus is teaching on forgiveness. And I really love when Peter's around in the Bible. Peter, the apostle. Because Peter always says or does or asks the question that I would. In uh, youth group, we've been going, we've been working on the disciples because what I said, listen, if you're going to my youth group, you're going to know some stuff about the Bible. So every week, we're working on a different disciple so that they'll all, by the time we're done, they'll have them memorized on accident. And so for each one, I have a picture that I put up. And for Peter, it's, it's the picture, and it's always some medieval picture too because they're just so cool. And the kids are like, that's weird. And they remember it. But it's the one where, where Peter has the, the sword and he's cutting off the, the high priest's uh, guard's ear, right? Because that's what I would have done. Somebody's coming to take Jesus? Let's do this. And Jesus, of course, says, Peter, put away your sword, and he, and he heals the guy's ear, and we know the story. So I, lo- I love it when Peter's around, because I get him. He makes sense to me. And so Peter, Jesus is teaching about, about forgiveness, and Peter says, Lord, how often will my brother uh, sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? So this sounds strange, but... They would have all known that the law or the Torah or the Old Testament required that you forgive someone three times. And, that, and after three, you don't, you're absolved of having to forgive them anymore. So Peter comes along and says, I got this. 
I am super spiritual with seven times the number of completion. I got this right. Right, Jesus? And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And some translations will say seven times seven. So I go, okay, so 49 times? You know, and that's, that's what we always do. We're Americans, we're, we're really logical. And we, oh, okay, 75 times or, you know, whatever, 49 times. But Jesus is, is speaking in hyperbole because what he asks Peter, what he tells Peter is that your forgiveness for others needs to be unmeasurable. The number of times that you are willing to forgive someone needs to be unmeasurable. That's what he's saying when he says, 77 times. So Jesus, like he often does, he's got a parable. He's got a story to help us understand what he means. It says that, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now we look at that and go, man, that is harsh. But that is really common practice in this time period. If you could not pay a large debt, they would either put you into slavery or sell you into slavery and your family. And either it was for restitution or just merely for a punishment. But this is really common practice. And in the day and age, this master is right to do so, okay? Now, the figure there, it says 10,000 talents, and that means absolutely nothing to me. So, so I went digging and, and uh, did some math here. So what I learned is in that day and age, they use a coin called a denarii, okay? And a denarii was basically one day's wage, all right? One day's wage, you work all day at, say, a minimum wage at nine twenty-five an hour. They give you a, a denarii, which today would be equivalent to about $74, okay? So one day's wage, $74. One talent... A talent wasn't a coin, it was more like a measurement uh, of weight, okay? And so a talent was often a 75-pound chunk of silver, okay? would have been one talent. Now, one talent was worth 6,000 denarii, okay? Which is 6,000 days labor, which will be the equivalent today of $444,000, that's one talent. Well, he owed 10,000 talents. So if we were to move that to today, a minimum wage, this man owed $4.5 billion, okay? Now, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. But Jesus isn't giving us a necessarily specific figure. What he's doing is he's talking in hyperbole again, and he's saying that the servant's debt is unpayable. It is unpayable. Now, if I had that debt, it would be unpayable. And you know, you're thinking, how does a guy accrue that much debt? I just assume he must work in government, is what. <laughs> His debt is completely unpayable. But the master, he does something pretty fantastic here. It says, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And this is where I picture the master going, really? <laughs> I mean, really? 
you're going to pay back everything. He's begging, he's pleading. And it says that out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. So the master gives him mercy because he, he withholds a punishment that was due him. Okay, he should have been sold into slavery, you know, his family, the whole bit. So he gives him mercy. So there's mercy and there's grace. And you know, mercy is when you don't get something you deserve like a punishment, okay? So like my son punches Lydia in the face, and which is a real thing that happens in our house. And instead of making him dig a ditch, which is also something that happens in our house, I say, you know what, Isaiah? You don't have to dig a ditch. That's mercy. He deserved to dig a ditch for punching Lydia in the face, but I'm not going to make him dig a ditch. That's mercy. The master also gives him grace because what he does is he essentially pays this man's debt. I mean, you can look at it as he gave him $4.5 billion and said, we're, we're even. That's grace. When you get something that you don't deserve, like on Christmas, and all the kids say to Santa Claus, have you been good this year? Yeah, I've been good all year. Liar. You have not been good all year. You have not been good for the last 10 minutes. But I'm going to give you a gift anyway because that's grace. That's grace. So the master has forgiven the debt. So what should happen next in this story is what happens in the Christmas carol. After Scrooge has been visited by three spirits, and they've all warned him that if he doesn't change his ways, the chains that he has, has forged are going to keep getting longer, and basically he's going to spend eternity in hell carrying around these chains, okay? And he wakes up, and he realizes that he gets a second chance at life. And so what does he do? He goes running around, and he's forgiven all the debts, and he's tearing up you know, his ledger, and in my house, he buys the goose and goes to Kermit the Frog's house because that's the one we like, the Muppet Christmas Carol. And he goes to Kermit the Frog's house and brings him an awesome feast. He's changed, right? He's changed. He realized that he got a second chance. Well, this servant had been given a second chance. But his reaction is very different from Ebenezer Scrooge's. It says, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is like maybe $7,000 in today's money, which is a lot, but it's nothing compared to $4.5 billion. It says that he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. Seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And where have we heard that before? Have patience with me and I'll pay back everything. Didn't he just say that? He just said that. So this servant's reaction, instead of, you know, singing songs with Muppets, he reacts violently, with violent unforgiveness. It says he chokes him. He's so angry, he's choking this man for this, this sum of money. 
The servant responds with unforgiveness, and this reveals his true character too, doesn't it? It says, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant, so there was another servant that kind of witnessed all this. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. And then the most chilling verse of all, verse 35, it says, So also, Jesus is saying this, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now in this story, we're supposed to put ourselves into, into this story, into this parable. Jesus would teach parables. He would tell a story to teach a, a spiritual principle. And in this story, we are that unforgiving servant. Okay? That's the placeholder for us. Because we're in the same boat spiritually as this servant. Our debt is unpayable. The debt from sin that we owe to a holy, righteous God is immeasurable. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the other problem we have is we have a complete inability to pay back this debt. We don't have enough of anything. Now, my grandfather, my grandfather, who, through the ministry of my younger brother, actually, um, found Jesus on his deathbed. But growing up, my grandfather and I were really close, and uh, he used to pick me up from school every day, and we'd go bowling every day because we were serious. We were, we were second place double state champions in Indiana. Just don't want to brag. <laughs> but we, so we were serious. We were serious about bowling and we were always always practicing and my grandpa would buy me lessons from these pros and it was intense. And one day I I had asked cuz my grandpa didn't go to church and I asked him. I said I said Grandpa, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And I was probably in 7th or 8th grade or something like that. And, and he said, well, you know, I figure if my, my good actions outweigh my bad actions, that you know, the, the ledger will show that I'm in the positive and, and I'll be all right. And, and I said, well, Grandpa, that's, that's not how it works. Uh, so I began to talk to him. And, and it's nothing he hadn't heard before. But I kept, I kept getting after him. You know, I believe in Jesus. You've got to believe in Jesus. And he finally, he looked at me, we're in, we were in the car, and he's smoking, and he's got the window down, and we're in his Crown Vic, his 1988 Crown Vic. And he looks over at me, and he goes, don't you ever talk to me about this again. 
And, you know, I stopped. And he also stopped picking me up for bowling for a while. There was maybe three, four months where Grandpa and I didn't talk. And, uh, you know, it was that was really hard for me. Um, but we have a complete inability to pay what we owe. The wages of sin is death. Just one. Just one sin. The wages of sin is death. One lie. One angry thought. Bam. You've broken the whole law. Because if you want to try to please God by being good, then he's going to judge you by the law. And we've talked about that a lot as we've gone through through Exodus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God because unfortunately, he requires perfection from us. He requires holiness, blamelessness. We're in trouble. I can't pay that debt. But our master, Jesus, Forgives our debt. It says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's that grace. That's that gift that he gives me that I don't deserve. Just like that $4.5 billion that he gives to, essentially gives to the, the servant to pay off his debt. Jesus pays my debt and gives me eternal life. And he gives me mercy. He shows me mercy because he doesn't subject me to the wrath of God, which is what I deserve because I'm a sinner. I deserve the wrath of God, but he shows mercy on me, shows mercy on us. Praise the Lord. Christ's death and resurrection pays our debt of sin and breaks the power of sin. A lot of people, you know, we understand why he died, but well, what, what does the resurrection have to do anything? What the resurrection shows is not only does he pay the penalty of sin, which is death, and he dies, but he's more powerful than sin. When he comes back from the dead, what he proves is not only do I cancel the, the debt of sin, but I have overpowered it. And the power over sin comes through the resurrection. But if we continue the analogy, we should be like Ebenezer Scrooge, right? On Christmas morning. And I think of Romans 12, 1, which is one of my favorite verses, and you probably know this one, but it says, in view of God's mercies. That is, in view of all that God has done. Paul, in this verse, has spent 11 chapters developing our place in Christ and what he has done for us. In view of his salvation, in view of his death on the cross, in view of his grace, in view of his mercy, in view of his forgiveness, we should present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Of worship, which is to say, it should change you. It should change the things you do. It should change the way you think. It should change how you treat others. And the principle here is that because you have been forgiven so much, you should be able to forgive those around you the wrongs that they have done you. But instead, 
so often our response is unforgiveness. Which leads to anger and bitterness, gossip, slander. So many of those things come from unforgiveness. Did you know that being unforgiving can actually affect your health? There's a study out of John Hopkins. And if you don't believe me, I can, I can show you. But they've actually documented that people who are unforgiving, it leads to high blood pressure, it leads to heart disease, it leads to depression, diabetes, all of these things. Because you know, you know what anger does to you. Because what does unforgiveness do? It leads to anger. It leads to anger. And the scariest thing of all, if we are unforgiving to those around us, then we are in danger of not experiencing the forgiveness of Christ. He says, if you don't forgive those around you, he's not going to forgive you. And you even see this in in, uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Because it says, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. They're linked. The forgiveness is linked. Jesus calls us to unconditional forgiveness. And this is terribly hard. And I believe that forgiveness only can come through the Spirit. I believe that we only have the power to forgive if the Spirit is in us and working in us. Because forgiveness is not our instinct. It's not. It's Christ's instinct in us. So Jesus calls us to unconditional forgiveness. That means forgiveness when it is not asked for. That means Forgiveness, when the other party doesn't think they are wrong. That means forgiveness that is not deserved. I have two caveats here with forgiveness. One, I'm not telling you to just walk up to people that have made you mad and go, Hey brother, I forgive you. Don't do that. That's not really what we're talking about here. Okay? That's something completely different. And if you came up and did that to me, I'd probably laugh at you. Because that's, that's a weird thing to do. We're not talking about words here. The other caveat I want to give you is that forgiveness does not always mean a restoration of that relationship. If you are a victim of domestic abuse. If someone has done something horrible to you, you need to forgive them. You will not find healing until you forgive them. But I'm not saying you need to go have a Coke with them. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. I remember years ago I met with a woman uh, kind of on a weekly basis as she was working through uh, some issues that she had in her life. She had been uh, raped, molested as a child. And 
I learned a lot from her and how she uh, worked through that pain. And what she had said is, I have to forgive those people every day. Because every day I remember it. Every day I feel the pain sometimes like it just happened. And then I have to forgive them again. And I have to forgive them again. Sometimes minute by minute. Forgive, forgive, forgive. It's a lifestyle. Martin Luther King, he says, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. It is a daily, sometimes minute by minute process of forgiveness. So I've been using this word a lot, forgiveness, right? But it's one of those words, you ever think about what it really means? And I, I literally, I'm like, oh, I'm going to look at the dictionary. So I, I, I pull out the dictionary. Forgive me. I type the dictionary. We don't pull out dictionaries anymore, right? And the definition is to cease to feel resentment against an offender. To, seek, to cease to feel resentment towards someone who offends you. There's a saying that, that goes around that says, unforgiveness is like drinking a glass of poison and expecting it to hurt the other person. When you are unforgiving, it's like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt someone else. Who do you resent? I know when I say it, somebody comes to mind. Who do you resent right now? Is there bitterness in your heart? Has it been there for a week, a month, a year, 10 years? In Hebrews 12, 15, it says, Strive for peace with one another and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it defiles many. Here's what happens when you are unforgiving. is You plant a root of bitterness in your heart, in your life. And he calls it a root of bitterness for a reason. What's a root do? It grows. It grows. And so that root of bitterness will grow and flourish in your life. It will affect your relationships. It will affect everything you do. That root of bitterness, it says it will grow and it will affect your whole community. One root of bitterness can defile all of us here. Years ago, I, uh, I worked at a church, and I'll tell you this, tell you this quick story, and, but know that there has been restoration um, with this, this church. And I've even gone back and, and spoken there. And, and, but I was fired from a church years ago. And, uh, and it was the most painful experience of my life. It was my church home. It was my church family. I loved it there. I saw my, I wanted to be there for the rest of my life. That's what I, that's what I wanted to do. 
And when that happened, I was so angry and bitter. And it did. It caused health problems with me. And it affected my relationship with my wife and with my kids. And, you know, and you would drive, I would, I would go and drive by and, and, it, and it would just hurt inside. And I think we've all been there. I think we've all experienced that kind of, of remorse and loss. It felt like someone had, had died. But what happened in my heart, rather than forgiveness and restoration, is I became bitter and angry. And there was a root of bitterness in my heart for years. For years. And I know that it, poisoned everyone around me. Who do you resent? Who do you hold bitterness to? Every one of us have been hurt. Some of you have been hurt by people here at this church. Some of you have been hurt by past leaders at this church. And it still hurts today. You know why I know? Because you've told me. And I've heard stories over and over again from different people of the the heartache and the loss and the hurt that they have received, even from within the body of Christ. We need to stop focusing on what others have done to us and start focusing on what God has done for us. Because the whole Christian life should be one of expressed gratitude. God has done so much for me. He has given me grace. He has given me mercy. I have salvation. I have eternal life in Him. So my response should be to be as forgiving and gracious and merciful as I possibly can to everyone else. And this is hard. I'm bad at it. But I believe if we want to see, if you want to see God moving and growing in your life and you want to see God moving and changing the world through this place, we have to dig out all of the roots of bitterness that we've been hanging on to for years. For years. Stop focusing on what others have done to us. Start resting in what God has done for us. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I think when I asked, is there someone that you resent, that you harbor bitterness and anger? I think every one of us in here has somebody in mind. Lord, I pray that we would begin a lifestyle of forgiveness. And then as bitterness tries to creep in to give Satan a foothold, that we would forgive again, that we would forgive again, that we would forgive again, that we would keep no record of wrong. I believe forgiveness is the most powerful weapon you have given us. May we forgive to the glory of your kingdom. May we forgive so that others will experience your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord.
We pray, amen. So we're going to sing one more song.